Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. I want to talk for a few minutes tonight about something that is very much linked to um, anxiety. Um, ironically, I'm feeling very anxious. So um, brilliantly, I know why I'm feeling anxious. And I'm going to hopefully, by the end of this, I've explained and helped you to understand where that anxiety comes from and how we can find some solutions to it. Now, um, I'm going to try and do science and I am absolutely terrible at science. So one of the reasons why I'm feeling anxious is because you're going to see right through me. And at the end, you're going to come up and, um, and give me all the proper expert advice. I need you to accept that I'm going to be limited in my scientific knowledge. Um, but it's still going to be very helpful because I felt so strongly all week that I had to talk about the central nervous system. And um, I really had to research. I read all these articles that were really complicated and that went... Whoosh. So I looked on GCSE BBC Bite Size. I thought, if, if it works for 16-year-olds, I might be able to understand it. So um, I want to just explain... Well, it, it worked as well. I want to just talk through um, how the central nervous system works and then make some points around that. I think that will be really helpful for at least making you think and go away and have some stuff to chew on. Now, the key question that I've had in my head as well is this, and I'll, I'll revisit it um, in the middle and at the end. Um, and it's, did Jesus understand the central nervous system? That's my question. Now, as you sit here tonight, you are actually very, very busy. Even though you're sitting, your brain is actually doing a bunch of things. Did you know your brain only weighs three pounds? I worked out today while I was going to think of a comparison. <laughs> I had my scales in the kitchen. I was putting things on it. It's the, about the weight of an empty kettle. An empty kettle is about the, the size of your brain. <laughs> three-pound bag of flour would have been a simpler way to explain it. <laughs> if it um, but it's about the size of my empty kettle. Um, and actually, it's doing a huge amount of things. So as you're sitting there, your brain is controlling what you think and feel, how you learn and remember, how you move and talk. As you sit here, your brain's helping your heart just beat as you sit in your seat. Um, it's helping you digest your food, if you've eaten before you came out. Um, and it's actually sort of um, really playing a part in the the stress or no stress or the, the anxiety you might be feeling right now. And it juggles and spins all these plates remarkably with actually without any of your conscious help, which is incredible. Now, as you sit there as well, you may be looking at me or not and actually thinking about something else. You might be thinking about what you're going to have for your tea. You might be thinking all sorts of things because actually you can do that, can't you? And your brain can be somewhere else whilst you are sitting here. So it's incredible. And it, if you think of it like um, a central computer that's controlling all your bodily functions, um, the nervous system is like a network that relays messages back and forth from your brain to different parts of your body all the time. And it does this via your spinal cord, which is apparently about 14 inches long. So it's incredible, really. This three-pound thing brain and this thing that long is doing all this stuff. It's, it's amazing. Um, 
it runs down, your spinal cord runs down from the brain, down through the back. I told you I didn't understand it, that's what I've got to read. And contains thread-like nerves that branch out to every organ and body part. Now, when a message comes into your brain from anywhere in your body, it then is told how to react. So, for example, if you accidentally touched a hot oven, the nerves in your skin... You've got things like that are receptors that receive almost the messages, shoot a message of pain to your brain, and then the brain sends a message back very quickly, saying to your hands, quick move. And it goes super fast. So all those messages are going back and forth and back and forth. Now, at birth, when you're born, um, the nervous system contains all the neurons you'll ever have. And there's like billions of them. Amazing. and, And many of them are not yet connected to each other. So what happens as you grow and learn is that those messages travel from one neuron to another over and over and over and over and over, and they create pathways and they create connections for the brain as you grow up. Now, because of this, um, it's a little bit like when you're a child, your brain is highly adaptable because they're not all connected yet. Not all of those pathways have been established yet, which is why a young child will just go and stick their hand in the fire because they haven't learned yet. Oh, when I do that... It it hurts. Those connections haven't been made. Um, And in fact, if a young child's brain is injured, they can actually learn to adapt so much that something else can take over because it can become connected in a different way. But as we age, our brains have to work a lot harder to make new neural pathways because it's become so used to things travelling a certain way that they become very set and it makes it much more difficult to master new tasks or change established behaviour patterns. We get stuck in a rut, so to speak. And many scientists believe that that's why it's really important to keep learning and growing and challenging your brain and making new connections because it stops that effect. Now, it's also, if you think about it, we know that things become automatic because those of you who drive... We can get somewhere in the car, not really recall how we got there, can't we? Which is quite terrifying, really. (laughs) Or is that just me? Um, (laughs) You you can just, because it's become automatic, whereas when you're first learning to drive, I mean, my goodness me, if you have to stop on a hill, you've had it, haven't you? Because it, it takes so much thinking about. But it becomes automatic, and there's many examples of that. Now, the memory is also another complex function of the brain. Um, Because the things we've done and the things we've learned and seen are processed in the cortex, whatever that is, in the cortex. Um, And then if we sense that this information is important enough to remember permanently, it's passed inwards to other parts of the brain for long-term storage and retrieval. So if things come across... Often enough, we think this must be important, so we store it. And as these messages travel through the brain, they too create pathways. So you've basically got a bunch of pathways in your brain that have been connected over time that may well be incredibly established and automatic now to the point we don't even think about them. And so my first big point tonight is this, that those of us are, probably all of us, let's face it, all of us in here have established pathways pathways. We just have. We know that by the way we live our lives and we also know it by the way that we respond when anybody suggests change because you're like, I don't think so. I think I'm all right with the way things are. But because we have our own normal based on what has been established in our mind and that's like our equilibrium where we feel balanced. 
And what, we, what balances each of us is very different. So what I need to feel balanced in my life, in my relationships, in who I am, in how I function, may well be the complete opposite of what you need to feel balanced because my pathways are very different. So you can see where tension and stress and difficulty comes from because I might be over here needing this to balance me and you're over here thinking, well, I don't need that, I need this and you're not, you're not talking my language. Now, when the equilibrium is thrown off balance in our life, that's what the result of that is stress. We feel stress when our, well, to us is our normal place to feel balance, is, is interrupted, is disturbed. And it's the body's re- stress is the body's reaction to disequilibrium. Great words. And it includes two things. Number one, think of it as like an alarm response that signals imbalance. All of a sudden, it's like, I don't like this. I don't like this. Something's come in that's not in how we like our equilibrium. And then it includes coping mechanisms that seek to restore the equilibrium. So we feel something like, oh, I don't like this. And then what we will draw from is a bank of things that we've learned over the years help us get back to to feeling all right again. And we all do it, don't we? Because we all have those triggers, those things in us, that alarm system that screams in us, this is not okay. This is not okay, this needs to stop, this needs to not happen, this is not how I like things to be. And then we seek to attempt to restore what we like as our normal, yes? Now, within the central nervous system, cells cope with imbalances by means of three responses. Am I teaching you anything new or do you all, do you all know this already? <laughs> is it just me? I had a really bad science teacher at school. And um, Within the, um, no I really did. I was very good and I listened very well in all my lessons, but we had a series of supply teachers for two years. I blame that. Don't ask, I, could have, I could have been learning and researching in my own time for the last 25 years, but let's not go there. Now, within the central nervous system, cells cope with imbalances by means of three things. These are the three things. Feedback, habituation, and adaptation. Now, your first line of defense is feedback. So here's an example. If you step on the end of a plug, have you ever stepped on the end? It really hurts. I think it's one of the worst pains. You step on the end of a plug and your system is going to, system changes. Some, it screams, your system goes, whoa, don't like that. And then thousands of cells send messages of alarm to your brain saying, respond, respond, respond. Um, And left unchecked, if your brain didn't respond, um, you'd get in such a state of panic and over, overreaction that, that, that you'd, oh, it would just be awful. So you have some cells, what they do is they feed back and they send inhibiting messages back to those original cells. And those messages are a kind of, settle down, settle down, we're all right, we're fine. And they sort of feed back that it's fine. And then your pulse increases and your respiration might increase temperature temporarily. You might shout, you might swear, you might hop up and down. You might, you know, you lift your foot, you rub your foot, but it's soon over because you've got some cells are making you panic, but all the cells are sort of calming you down and saying it's all right. And they're sort of balancing each other. Now, if the second type, habituation, sounds like it's the forming of a habit, habituation, but it actually isn't. What that is, is it's the process by which nerve cells become less sensitive and responses, 
responsive to something that's repeated, repeated stimuli, because it, what it's going to do is prevent things coming in. So again, really simple example. You can go into a building, perhaps you came in here, and when you first walk in, you, can, you hear some sounds, you smell, you sense how warm it is. You come in the building and all of those things hit you. But when you've been in the building for a while, you don't notice those things anymore. All of a sudden... They're just, like, if you just stop now, I can, I can hear now behind me. Can you hear that? I haven't heard that all night, but now all of a sudden you can hear it. And, and you, you sort of learn out on that. And you, you sort of tune things in and out, don't you? You can be having a conversation with someone here, and someone else can be having a conversation there, but you don't even hear it because you're actually focused on that thing. So when cells continue to receive repetitive stimuli over a short period of time, we can actually learn to shut out distractions we can just learn to tune them out. But if we do this over a prolonged period of time, it actually starts to take its toll on us because receiving cells have to make such an effort to suppress those unwanted things that they'd actually become exhausted. So then the second form of habituation becomes necessary. And that's when the nerve cells actually undergo physical changes and they actually start to destroy their own neuroreceptors and even sever the connections. And what happens is they start to block things from coming in. So do you understand that process that you've got the settle down? The settle down is the first way of sort of speaking to our responses, then it becomes the thing where there's messages are prevented from entering the system that it is trying to protect. Two steps. Now, the third step kicks in if neither of those are effective. So if we don't respond to the feedback, settle down, settle down. And if we can't, those things are still getting through despite the fact that we're trying to prevent them. And they actually, those messages keep coming in. They disturb the balance, and that is when a new balance must be created, a new normality must be established, and that's called adaptation. When we're so bombarded with that information, it can't be kept out, it can't be prevented, that it's going to come in no matter what, and we're going to have to change and adapt to it. Now, <laughs> if all attempts... To prevent messages entering fail, the receiving cells will increase their responsiveness and they decide they're going to join in rather than trying to tune it out. Now, I'm trying to think of making it this really practical. Have you, and I've been in a situation, I have been in a situation where I did everything to try and re-establish an equilibrium in my life, where it was like, this is not normal, I don't like this. So I fought and fought and fought and resisted and resisted and I wasn't going to change and this was how life was going to be and everything was... And it got to the point where there was no other way to go other than to find a way to let some stuff go and find a new normal. Because whatever it was, whatever my normal was, it was gone. And so you come to the point where you think, I'm trying to get back something that just... I have not been able to prevent it from changing. Now I'm in somewhere new, experiencing something new. Every single message that's coming into my life is something different. I'm going to have to find a new normal. Now, I don't know where I am. It's okay. Now, the normal inter... I think I'll miss that bit out. One second. Right. What happens then is if... if um, 
It's all right. I can't make that bit now join that bit because the, the, the beginning don't work. I'm going to read it because otherwise I can't find it. If all the, I'm going to have to adapt. <laughs> I can't block it out. If all attempts... Right, I'll read this bit again because then it will make sense. If all attempts to prevent messages entering fail, the receiving cells will increase their responsiveness. They will join in rather than trying to join to tune out. As a result... That's why I couldn't make work. As a result, the normal interaction among cells is thrown out of balance because they're like, oh, we're listening to this now. Why are we listening to this new information now? And once again, that process is going to produce stress because something's treading on those pathways that wasn't allowed to tread on before. And now all of a sudden we're letting it in. What's going on? And, and if this lasts a short time, the old equilibrium can be quickly restored when the situation passes. But if the change is prolonged, the rest of the system must adapt to it. Now, countless systems of cells must then adjust their functioning to accommodate a new situation. And when adaptation is complete, your stress can go away because you find a new sense of normal. But in the process of it being established to a new sense of normal, it's going to feel stressful. It just is. And some of you may be feeling stress right now because actually you need to find a new sense of normal and accept that whatever was is over we're going somewhere new in your life it, as a church. I don't know where your new is. But it may be that some of the stress you're feeling is all right in the sense that if you just start to adapt, you're going to find beyond that a sense of normal. Um, now, whether we apply this positively or negatively to our lives requires a very honest look at our quest for normal. Because you could be, what if, the normal that you're going to create is actually not a good normal to be in. So you've got a question, haven't you? Now, my grandma resisted change all, all of her life. I mean, you know when you go to the... Have you ever been to York Castle Museum? My grandma's living room is in York Castle Museum. It's the 50s one. It is identical to the point where when me and my mum and my sister visited, I mean, we just wept with laughter. It was my grandma's living room. It just was. You know how... They used to, um, oh, I, won't, I, won't, I better not say anything in case anybody's house is like that. Anyway, that's my grandma's living room. Even to the point where she didn't have a bank when, when she died and we had to go and clear her house out. Under like, the carpets and the wardrobe, there was loads of money and jewellery. There was no like safe or it was just like hidden. We were, like, it was like a treasure hunt. But my grandma um, one day said to me, I mean, she wasn't a very open lady. She was lovely, but not very open. But one day she said to me, um, we were talking, talking about, you know, Grandma, why don't you get some radiators, you know, because your house is cold, why don't you get some radiators installed? And she said, she said, oh, she said, you know what, she said, after I'd lived through the war, that was enough, enough excitement for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what she said. And it was almost like once she found a new normal after the war, nothing was going to be allowed to change just because... The relief that there was a normal meant that she didn't ever want to do anything that would bring stress again. So now we've got a new normal. We'll keep it all like this. Thanks very much. Um, now, when we have all experienced negative things and you find yourself back at a normal, it is such a relief. But if you stay in that normal too long, you then get stuck in a new, you get stuck in a new normal and you don't grow and go to the next bit. 
So if I return to my question momentarily, did Jesus understand the central nervous system? I don't know if he understood the science of it when he was on earth, because I don't know if they had that understanding at the time. They probably didn't, because we've learned things since then, haven't we? But what he said suggests to me that he understood the challenge for people to have new ideas and to get out of the rut of their thinking, because we can see the anxiety that he brought to those who had a normal that they loved, particularly a religious normal. It made them very anxious, the thought of a new idea. And we can also see the relief that he brought to those who had a normal that they were just despairing of. And all of a sudden there was a new idea that perhaps they could be a a different sort of future for them and they could embrace it. And does this not suggest that if our normal is our comfort, then any challenge to it is going to be resisted? We're going to be like, no, I like my normal, thanks very much. And it will be racked with anxiety. Now, if you think of anxiety as sort of an umbrella term, because it doesn't just mean worry, it can mean agitation, angst, fear, foreboding, concern. It's all of that stuff. And it's actually the result of something being triggered in us. Anxiety is the result of that thing being triggered and something that's coming and is pushing against our normal and we resist it. What happens with anxiety is something comes in, it makes us feel like, don't like this, don't like this, don't like this, and we try and push it away. And the anxiety is that bit of you that's a resistance to that, in, that, to that thing coming into your life. Now, I've got an example, and I'm aware it's sort of a, such a simple example, but it's a practical, tangible example. Um, yesterday, I had to have a Skype call through work. And someone in a school was going to call me, and there was going to be three of them, there was going to be me, um, and we were going to see each other and have a conversation. And they paid for this call. So because I didn't want this call to not work, I'd tested it out. You know, I'd, I've got two Skype accounts. So I was upstairs and Daniel was downstairs and I was checking it worked. And, and I was all ready and I was there nice and early, ready to go. But I felt so unbelievably anxious. I just thinking, what if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't work? What if when I press play, it doesn't work? What if they can't get through to me? I was really, really on edge really, really nervous and anxious about it. And, and when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, well, what, what, what was the thought coming into my mind? What was it triggering? And all I was thinking was, this might go wrong. This might go wrong. This is going to fail. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And I was panicking. And I thought, well, if I'm resisting something, what, what, what am I resisting? And what I was resisting in that moment was, my overran was, was I am not allowed to fail. I am not allowed to fail. So because I am not allowed to fail... I have to feel so anxious because failure is not allowed in my life. So therefore, it it all comes in. It's the resisting. Now, what if I accepted a new idea, right? And in that moment, I had to sit there and think, right, well, what if it does fail? What, What if it fails? What if it doesn't work? So you think, well, if it doesn't work, I will phone them up and they can speak to me on speakerphone. I thought, well, I'll just do that. If it doesn't work and it really is a disaster and they're so desperately disappointed that the Skype thing hasn't worked, I will just say, I'm really sorry, I tried, and give them their money back. And as soon as I thought, right, actually, if this fails, I'm all right, all of a sudden you're not anxious anymore because you've actually dealt with the point of resistance. Now, although it's a very comparatively very small moment, you might be thinking it was a Skype call, there's bigger problems in the world. What it triggers in me is a pathway that was established in my life probably about 20 odd years ago where I feel like there was a failure. I 
did not make the right call and the consequences of that for me and for other people were huge, were huge. And since that point, I established a pathway in my mind that if you get it wrong, there is going to be phenomenal pain in your life. So since then, you're locked down. I said, well, I'm never going to get it wrong again then. Because if when I get it wrong, there's pain, I just won't ever get it wrong again. And you set up this pathway that has to then avoid and feel anxious about anything that is going to walk on that path. Does that make sense? So it comes, those little things become things that walk along the pathway that actually is so established deep at your core. Now, what you then have to do is think, right, if there's a field with grass and you someone walks across it and it flattens that bit and then someone else walks across it and it flattens it some more. Eventually, you're going to have a bare path that everything can walk on. And the only way to change that path is if you start walking on it and actually give it chance to grow again. And it can grow. We've been hearing all about seed and the potential of the seed and all of those pathways that we may have established in our lives ages ago. If we start to walk new paths and have new thoughts and tell ourselves, I'm not walking down that path again, and sow something else. Over time, those pathways are going to grow back. They're going to start to bear fruit in a different way. We can walk in a different direction, and there's great hope. Because don't you find that we've had to work really, we, we have to work really hard to think differently, but we haven't had to make any effort at all to get, them, to get those anxieties in the first place. It's like they've just happened. So my question is, what is being triggered in your life at the minute, maybe even tonight? What pathways are being um, trodden on and what are you resisting? What in your life, if you are anxious or angry or agitated, don't just think of anxious as sitting there sort of worrying. If you're agitated, anxious, on edge, nervous, what are you resisting? in your life because you don't automatically think of it like that but it is the something that you're saying you can't come in here and you're trying to resist something it might be a belief an idea a thought that terrifies you and what if you stopped resisting it what if instead of resisting it you let it come in and you have a good old look at it and you think what if I follow this all the way through even as I'm I mean I get anxious Every time I come up here, you get anxious and you realise at the root of that, you're thinking, well, what if people reject me? What if I get up here and you think, well, you're no good, that's no good, and you walk out the building and you pull me to pieces? What if you do? Because if I'm anxious about that, it means that I can only be worthy if you say I am. But if that's not the truth, that I can be worthy because... He says I am because I know what's in my heart and my intention. What what if I decide that my worthiness is not going to be based on whether you like what I'm saying or not, but on whether I, in good faith, am willing to share my heart with you? All of a sudden, you don't have to be anxious anymore because you're not resisting something that could have a real negative impact on your life. Now, I'm nearly there, but this does come with a little bit of a health warning Um, because... Like I said, it depends what normal you're trying to establish. There are all sorts of ways we can deal with the um, irritants in life. And this is a really good example of how your central nervous system can kick in and do something quite interesting, depending on what you put into it. Now, there's a story that I read in a book um, that you lent me. (laughs) And it was about a lady called Sally. 
Now, Sally had a runny nose, right? And normally, if she had a runny nose, she'd think, oh, I've got a bit of cold. Just let it play out. It'll go off in two or three days. Um, but she was going on holiday, and she didn't want us to wreck her holiday by being poorly. So she went to the doctors, and she said, please, give me something. Give me something for this nose. And he, he reluctantly gave her something because um, he, he took pity on her because she was going on holiday. And then she got these nose drops, So what she did was she used the nose drops and it immediately made her feel a million times better. She thought, yes, this is great. Lasted for about three hours. Took the nose drops again. Again, felt brilliant. Took, you know, carried on. But after a couple of hours this time, the, the impact of them had worn off. And what she found was that as she kept taking them in her sort of anxiety to, oh, I can't have a cold on holiday, um, she found that the impact of what she was doing was starting to wear off and was beginning not to have any effect on her runny nose whatsoever. And the problem is that the body actually makes chemicals itself to, to heal such things and that there's certain natural body chemicals that cause nasal congestion and other ones that cause nasal decongestion. So all the time, your body is actually trying to balance itself. Now, if you introduced... By introducing something artificial... She actually disturbed the natural balance and then it meant that her body adapted and said, all right, well, we don't need to be doing that anymore. And so by putting something artificial into her body, she actually found that she was overusing the drugs and it became really, really counterproductive. So in trying to keep the balance, her nose had literally become dependent on the artificial uh, decongestants in the drops and her nose was now addicted to the drops. Um, and it had built up a tolerance so that she was going to have to keep putting more and more, more and more drops in her nose um, to actually have any impact whatsoever. And if you're someone that in life is finding solutions to your life in something that's um, not uh, going to work with how your body and your life and your spirit is meant to be, you're going to find you need to take more and more and more and more of it to have any kind of impact in your life. And it can form those really, really strong addictions. And what she had to do was she had to put her nose through withdrawal withdrawal symptoms so it could find a natural balance again. And I can think of a million times in my life where I've substituted artificial solutions to make me feel better. I can think of millions of times when I've done it. So can you, when you think, this is how I should really solve this problem, but this right now will make me feel better. So I'll just plonk that in because that'll then work and I'll get back to normal quickly. And actually, the key point is that some of this stuff takes work. And sometimes to get to a point in your life where things are healthy and whole and you've got wonderful things going on, actually it takes work. We've been hearing for the last few weeks about how you've got to sow seed and you've got to give and you've got to do all sorts of things. And sometimes we want quick and easy answers, but we don't get to have them straight away. We actually have to put something in and put some effort in because we are this remarkable created being, aren't we? We're this, when you think of how your body works and how marvellous it is, but we've actually connected to the creator and your body's doing all kinds of creating without you even trying. And so if, if we can connect this creator-created thing to the creator, we could have some real solutions in our life. Um, In the same way that your sensory receptors, your eyes, ears, nose, mouth and skin, 
drawing information that sends messages to your brain and back to all the parts of your body, there's actually a spirit receptor in you. Something that's going to draw information in beyond your, your see, hear, touch, taste, smell. Something beyond um, what you experience naturally. And then you can get an illumination in your life that actually can start to form some of those pathways. And we've been hearing recently about salvation moments, about how salvation isn't this one-time thing that just happens and then all of a sudden everything's fine. Every day, it's possible to have a salvation moment, to think, do you know what? I'm feeling anxious. Right, instead of just rushing around to try and restore my normal, what am I resisting in my heart? Am I going to believe for light to be shed on that and for me to actually have a real solution to this, to actually be able to invite something in, not resist, and actually find my solution? Um, So did Jesus understand the central nervous system? I think he understood that established pathways were hard to break and needed to be challenged directly and assertively at times. And I think he understood that embracing new ideas was always going to be essential to growth. What does it say? It says, don't just conform to the patterns of this world. Don't just conform to the pathways you've always had, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And and this is the final thing I want to read from this book. Adapting to change then means going through the stress of withdrawal from the old normality and finding relief when a new normality is established. At this most basic level of human functioning, I am attached to whatever makes things normal for me. And I don't let that normality change without a struggle. And and I just, my, my challenge tonight is that in all of those areas where we're feeling anxious and all that that means, we have to let down our guard and stop resisting and be open to new ideas because we're called to make new pathways. That's what, that's what we're called to as a church. We're an ice-breaking church. What does an icebreaker do? It makes new pathways. So as individuals and as people, we have to be people that will be open to a new pathway and not shut down our own mind when anything comes in you're not messing with my normal and so I want to invite you tonight to um, be open to a new idea if you are feeling anxious ask yourself what are you resisting and be open to a new idea and a new pathway to be sown like a seed in your life to grow something different in your life so do you want to just bow your heads for a minute we'll pray and then we're, we're about done But if as you sit there, you know that you are feeling so anxious about things going on in your life and around you or in other people's lives, and you want to have a light shed on now to know what it is that you are resisting so that you can have the opportunity for a new thought, I just want you to be willing right now to receive a salvation moment, a moment where something can happen on the inside of you. We believe all sorts of things can happen when we touch, see, smell, taste, things. We, all those senses we trust to work. And I'm inviting you tonight to trust your spirit to work that wherever it is that you're struggling, whatever you're resisting, that light will shine on that tonight and that you'll be shown a new idea. And, that, and Lord, I just pray tonight that where there's established pathways in people's lives that are not helpful, that Lord, you will bring revelation and light right now so that people will be able to see so clearly a way forward into something new and that where we need to find a new normal that will be willing to 
welcome it, not resist it, but to welcome it, Lord, and to be everything, be everything that you want us to be as we pioneer on this journey and create pathways for other people to follow behind. Thank you. Thank you. Do you want to say? Do you want me to? Do you want to say anything? Well, I enjoyed that science lesson. Thank you, Jenny. It was great. Um, there's so many things that you know we, we could probably say to add to it to give more illustrations or what have you. I don't want to do that. Um, but I just felt um, that maybe this would help um, some of you. When, um, well, it's probably 10 years ago, um, suddenly we were faced with an understanding of the gospel um, that we'd never been introduced to before. Um, I, you know, I, I was born into a, a Christian home and that has always been my normal. I often think I never had the opportunity to go from being somebody who had no idea of God or, or religion or whatever and then make a choice to come into it because you think about it and you, know, you think, is that what I really want to do? I was just in it and that was my normal, like Jenny's been talking about. Um, and of course, it's all taken as you fed it all your life from being a child. You're told, you, you know, at bedtime you pray and you do this, that and the other. Then all of a sudden, something intruded on that well-established pathway that I'd had for 40 odd years uh, with things like, and I mean, I know some of you have heard this before, but I'm just sort of reminding you, things like, you know, did Jesus die on the cross to save us from God? Just that sort of a question. Is that what he did? Because if he did and Jesus and God are one, then there's a split personality going on there, so there's something wrong. Now, whether we like to admit these things or not, that takes the sort of thing that Jenny's been talking about, a, a real transformation to be willing to go that journey because that had been so long established that you think, well, if I now question that, what else is going to be questioned? And it's like the, the domino effect. Everything starts to go. And so what happens is people resist and they hear that question i.e., did Jesus really die to save us from God? And they say, I can't, I can't go there. So they resist, they resist, they resist, and they stay stuck in the situation that does not give them answers or give them the good news that, that, that Christ wanted to bring, but they'd rather say stuck than go that journey where everything is going to have to change. Now, did, does that help a little bit? Now, I know we as a church have, have, have been willing to do that. And um, yeah, did it bring some anxiety that we had to then embrace and say, okay, we need, we need transformation. But I, I'm saying that, that, that to help you because um, when I, you know, I hear that, I know that um, there are things that I've got to stop resisting um, because at times I just think, oh, I can't. I can't go there. It's terrifying. I think I can't go there. And then God's saying, you got to, you're going to have to. And so, you know, I, I hope that's helped a little bit because um, sometimes I think leaders can be 
really misunderstood because you're supposed to know it all. You're supposed to have everything figured out. And, you know, you look to us for, for, you know, for revelation and for, you know, for us to dot the I's and cross the T's. When meanwhile, we are saying, but you know, there's stuff that's coming into our lives and stuff that we're experiencing that I haven't got the answer to that yet. And I just want to say thank you for trusting us, for coming the journey, for being willing to change some of those long-established pathways. And um, sometimes, you, you know, even in the sense that we feel a bit sparse at times, I think that's because people are afraid because their long-established pathway says, I can't go there. You see, it's going to mess things up. So anyway, thank you for listening. Um, always remember that familiarity breeds contempt. Um, sometimes we become, like when Jenny said about, you know, we come in, we feel the warmth and we, we're so used to it that we sort of take it for granted. Um, I think of late we've probably taken for, gr- for granted the awesomeness of the unconditional love of God. We take for granted the awesomeness of his grace, his favour, his kindness. And so we're not very responsive. We can be quite, well, you know, come on. Let's rejoice in it. Let's rejoice in it all, the, 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 the journey that we're on. And just like when Jesus was on the, um, that path, the road to Emmaus, when he appeared to two of his disciples, uh, one of the, the scriptures at the end of the story says, he would have gone further. But the two disciples who would, you know, go in the journey from Jerusalem, they, they were tired and they wanted to go into the house. Um, but he would have gone further. Now, do you understand that there's, there's, there's more to transcend, isn't there? There's more places to go. There's more things to understand. And we've not, we don't know the half of it, do we? So keep open. Keep open. Keep teachable. Keep learning. Keep being willing to say, you know, I, I don't hardly know a thing, but the bit I know is all right. So thank you. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks, everybody. And uh, we'll see you in the week. And yes, Grotto's ready to go. We're all ready to go with that. And uh, yeah, that was another thing I was going to say I was thankful for when I, at the start tonight. I was going to say, the Grotto's finished. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks very much, everybody. Bless you. Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again.